The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. There are four, count them, four games gone in the Stanley Cup Finals. We Mm. are probably, we are under three weeks to uh, to the NHL draft. The... There's been since we last talked about the general manager and coaching carousel, there have been moves. Um, we've got some interesting trade proposals, both our own and from writers around the hockey sphere. <laughs> um, it's getting it's it, the, the fiction is piling up. <laughs> speculation. It's called speculation when you do it on purpose. Um, no, 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 no. It's called fiction when it's not going to happen (laughs) speculation all right we'll go with fiction for now i mean speculation or something yeah uh and there was an interesting hit on jack eichel in what was that game three that took him out of the game yeah actually it didn't didn't he did he come did he came back well it it temporarily took him out of the game yeah and Vegas hockey Twitter went absolutely berserk, acting like it was literally the worst hit in NHL history. Did they lose their minds? It was. It It sounds a little like Montreal. Ridiculous. Now, even in real time, the first time I saw it, I said clean hit. I didn't. And I I mean, when I when I saw it the first time. Obviously the toe pick and he was leaning forward, but it looked from from the side where they first showed it, the regular camera angle from the regular you know camera shot for the game. It looked like head was the primary point of contact, but unfortunately, yes, he was also falling, which puts everything kind of in a weird haze. But when you see it from the other side, you do see that shoulder is primary point of contact. So I agree with you there. Yes, I didn't. I didn't think it was clean hit at first, but you. And did. I think that the. No, no, no. I thought it was a clean hit as soon as I saw it. Right. That's what I'm saying. You thought it was a clean hit. I did. My first thought was it wasn't. It was dirty. But. And and post game interview, what does Michael say? Oh yeah, he hit me with a clean hit. That was and and you know what that was the fact that he did that and it didn't sound in any way it wasn't Forced manufactured or, or coerced or or any particular word you want to use he he clearly believed based on the way he was speaking and his mannerisms he clearly believed it was a clean hit absolutely and quite honestly I think if people want to take some of the dumb fighting out of the league that occurs when there are those clean hits. More guys need to do what Eichel did and address it as such. And, you know, theoretically prevent their coworkers or their teammates from doing dumb stuff later in retaliation for a average hockey play. Did Cassidy also refer to it as a clean hit? I don't listen to Cassidy. Well, yeah, I know, I, I and I understand why, but I, I 
in this case, I, I vaguely remember him also commenting that the hit looked appeared clean. So, I, I unfortunately, because of the way Eichel toe picked and was lunging forward, it looks a lot worse. They still managed to, uh, and and I don't know, was it uh, was it Cola? I think it was Colasar that kind of enacted a little bit of <clears throat> revenge in the next game. Because that was what, game two? And then Colasar got Matthew Kachuk in game three. And looking at the two players, I think that Kachuk has actually gotten the worst of the deal. Uh, I mean, the weird as it seems to say, the nice part for um, the nice part for Eichel is that as he was laid out with his skates already off the ice, yeah. there wasn't that much resistance when Kachuk plowed into him. Kachuk was on his skates when Kolasar hit him, so there's still some resistance there. Um, it's cool. just Kolasar can hit though, and Kolasar, well, Kolasar knows how to hit, but I. I don't necessarily buy that it was that one hit that injured uh, Kachuk as he was clearly labeling it, uh, laboring in game four. I think it's probably a combination of a couple of things that have been going on. Um, watching well, it, this series. As you said, no, as you, I was just going to comment, as you say, you know, about the playoffs, and, and I completely agree. If you're not feeling some kind of nagging something, then you're not trying hard enough. So I wouldn't doubt that he's got a, a nagging thing going on here or there. But the way Kolasar hit him after the playoffs, it would not surprise me if they announced that he's he was dealing with some sort of um, dis, uh, dislocation or separation. I'm not saying that it's a grade six or whatever, because then he wouldn't be playing at all. But uh, he's a hockey player. <laughs> Yeah, ten but, minutes without playing in the third last night. So when you can't move your, when you're incapable of moving your arm in a as with a grade six, uh, then uh, look, uh, it, I believe I forget whether it was Thornton or Marlowe, but at one point they needed help to put their jerseys on in and still play. <laughs> that was separated any... shoulders. Yes. Okay. I, uh, Look, when it comes to injuries, if it's not to the head, I'm going to bet on a hockey player to play if their lungs are like falling out of a hole in their chest. But yeah, Kachuk did not. He didn't Kachuk, look good. He didn't look right last night. Um, overall, what I've seen of this series to date says that the the depth of the Knights is better than the depth of the Panthers, which I think everyone knew coming in. Um, the two biggest differences that I've seen in the overall play, I think that the Florida Panthers just look tired. Like, overall, their conditioning was better than the other teams in the first three rounds. And, and that's why they're able to counter punch. So, so well, they score late goals. They 
win in overtime. Um, I think that the combination of injuries, the combination of the shock wearing off of getting here and the adrenaline wearing off with that ridiculously long layoff. Um, I think that that's, I think that's taken a lot of steam out of them. Um, it's not, that, it's not just that Vegas has played well. They, they never look to have been playing at full speed for a full period to me. And the, that being the Panthers, they just look, they have spurts. They're definitely a counterpunch team still. Um, and you were talking about it before we hit record. The Knights have done a really good job of owning the middle of the ice. And I don't mean the neutral zone. I mean the slot area. I mean everything that every time the Panthers are entering the offensive zone, the Knights are keeping them on the perimeter. There's there they have been unable, and this was something that they were successful against the Bruins, was getting into that slot area, taking away Olmark's eyes when necessary. They have not been able to do that except for brief moments of time in this series. And they've scored most of the time in those brief moments. It's just it, it, it Vegas is doing. Everything and I, or, or almost everything right. Uh, I'm trying to think of a situation where they have. I mean, Aiden Hill has been spot on. They haven't, but he's had fairly clean, unless there there has been some kind of physicality in front of his net. But for the most part, he's had fairly clean looks, and even when he's being partially screened. They're clearing out enough that he can figure out where the puck's coming from, what's going on with it. They've been their defensive exit zone entries into the offensive zone have been uh, have been. I don't even know what the right word is here. I mean, it, it everything's working properly. They they're they're capitalizing on all Florida mistakes. It's just it, it does not look good. And I want to see the Panthers at least put up a fight. I want to see it get to a six or a seven. I like well, I'm trying to hang on to hockey as long as I can. Yeah. I, <laughs> but when I when I said five or six, I I I just I thought that Florida just did not look the same as they have in their prior series. And they've had that nine, and they had that nine or ten day layoff. In ten days, I mean, in, in regular can. season, there were there were stretches where the Bruins were playing seven games in ten days. Yeah, uh, there's no there's no point in the regular season. Well, they try to do that whole bye week thing or whatever it is. Uh, yes, but and, there's but there's really no point where you're off for ten games in a row. The the All Star break maybe. It's either your no. Even the All Star break is usually only like four days, maybe five. But like seven days off, ten days off, never happen. I mean, the only time you see ten plus days off is when there's an Olympic break, which 
Gary Bettman wouldn't allow them to have during the last Winter Olympics. <laughs> because, you know, because the NHL players weren't allowed to play in the in in the Olympics. You know what? I as much as I'm gro- grossly ambivalent about uh, Bettman, I. I understand why he was not in favor of doing the of doing a um, of doing the Olympics last time. There's just no way to make the time work. Yeah. And no, I get that. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. And in some ways, I agree with it as well because there's also the there's also the possibility of these guys go over there representing their countries, which is all well and good for the players, but they get hurt. And then suddenly the, the NHL product is watered down because your superstar who went to play in international competition can't play in the NHL. So it affects their bottom line. From a business standpoint, I get it as well. That's even before you get to the political element where maybe China decides to grandstand mm-hmm. and protest and decides to keep people while well, they process their passports for six months or a year. Or you get another Brittany Griner situation where someone brings a minor, a something that's illegal but is a minor crime in Western nations and they end up, you know, behind jail with like a 20 year life, a 20 year sentence for bringing a vape or something like that into the country. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, and let's face it, while we try and leave politics out of the store, the show as much as possible, if yes. it's going to happen in a country, China is right up there among the places it's going to happen. So swing this back around to actual hockey. You think this game? Do you think this series is going back to Sunrise? <sighs> if it's going to get, if it's going to go back to Sunrise, Barkov has to now that he's come out of his you know four game slumber. Hibernation is over. (laughs) He needs to actually show up and cover the offense and the physicality that Kachuk has had knocked out of his hands. They need somebody. Yeah, somebody needs to pick up the mantle. I I'm sure that Kachuk is going to play in game five. I can't I can't envision a scenario where he doesn't. But is he, I guess is the question, is he going to be able to play to Matthew Kachuk levels, if that makes any sense? Um, that remains to be seen. Um, I, 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 my gut says no. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean he won't uh, surprise us. Because that means you need Brahegi to step up. Um, Montour has been somewhat quiet. Montour has been quiet. Forsling has been quiet. Um, I I think that there's enough depth on the Panthers that if 
we get from them what we saw in the first three rounds, they can still make a series out of this. Okay. Um, for that matter, the two Sams can still do more. I, mean, I think that, you listen to Gretzky. He loves Sam Reinhardt. Thinks he's one of the smartest hockey players in the league. Which but is Sam. Sam Reinhardt has zero points, if I'm not mistaken, in the in the finals. It, he's again. He's a he's a two way player. He's probably he's probably best quantified as a defensive forward. Um, I've been talking about him as an effective player since he broke into the league. And uh, yep. people just haven't listened. I think part of the problem. I think the. I think part of the problem is just when you play the position he plays. Offense is expected. You look at a two-way player, and yes, I'm going to use Bergeron. I'm not trying to compare the two players because clearly Bergeron best two-way player in the game, but Bergeron still puts up points. He does, but. He was noticed for it, for his defense, even even those first two seasons after that major concussion, Mm -hmm. that first major concussion, where he was still getting credit for his defense. And I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that Sam has ever gotten full credit and full marks for being a a two way player who's at least as good as Chris Kelly ever was uh, in his own zone and the neutral zone. And that's, that's a big deal. Um, you know, he's even more physical than Kelly was. Um, I, I've said for I agree. Six, seven years, I'll take him on my team anytime. Okay. I mean, there's one guy that doesn't really need to up his game, and surprisingly enough for me, that's the $10 million man, uh, Bob. I can't you – re, you really can't fault Bob if they lose this series. I think the only time you could fault him was game two when he was just not – something, something looked off about him that he allowed those four goals. And I don't know if it was just the defense in front of him or the the entire squad in front of him, the entire five skaters. Uh, but he just didn't look right in game two. I think no, getting him didn't. out of the, I think getting him out of there, letting Lyon finish that game was one of the underrated things goes. that Maurice. I mean, I think Maurice getting him out of there, putting Lyon in, it, it was. I think that's what kind of rejuvenated Bob a little bit. It made game three possible. It made that win for them in game three possible. So did going back home. I never, I never deny that, that, that. I mean, for a sweep to happen, it, it, it a lot of things have to come into play because when teams get that first home game, they get that rush. They get that adrenaline high, so to speak. They, you know, but they feed off the crowd. This so has you, been one of those seasons, though, where the road team has been stronger. 
I mean, heading into the finals, the road team had won more games than the home team through, I believe through the first three rounds. Yeah. And that's, that's got to be, if it's not a first in NHL history, it's, it's absolutely a rarity. Yeah. Leader in the clubhouse for Conn Smythe, Aiden Hill. It should be Aiden Hill if the if Vegas pulls it out. If Vegas, my apologies, yes, if Vegas wins, are we looking at Aiden Hill? I think if I think but if he's somehow probably still going to go to Eichel. Um, really, Eichel and Marshall Salt have been well, they, the real deal. Well, they both have the same amount of points, or at least they did at the start of game five. Game yeah, four. they entered the, they entered game five with twenty three points apiece in yeah. the in the playoffs. That's that's nothing to sneeze at. I think that Aiden Hill has done way more than anyone should have expected or could have expected of him when the regular season opened with no. How many playoff games did he have before this season? I believe the number is zero. The number is zero. Very good. (laughs) Because he only had a handful of regular season games, too. He's been on so many different. I mean, it's not like he's, you know, 29, 30 year old guy. He's a young guy and he's already been on like four or five different teams. He was with Coyotes. He was. And and I just I just remember the Coyotes. I think that's where he spent the longest amount of time. But now ending up in in Vegas and Vegas has used, what, six goaltenders this season. I mean, Logan Thompson. Uh, Leonard never actually played this season. You got Jonathan Quick on the team now. They had Yeri Patera. Uh, uh, you, um, who was the other one that they acquired? I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. Uh, scary stuff, like five, six goaltenders in a season, and yet it's Aiden Hill that's come out on top. I don't know. I, I think that but it's more this, of a— I mean, the, the five or six goaltender thing, isn't this the— isn't this the formula for Vegas? Didn't the, isn't this exactly what happened five years ago, six years ago? They used four goaltenders to get everyone got injured. Yeah, for yeah, their their inaugural season, you had Flurry went down, the backup. Uh, off the top of my head, yeah, I'm not thinking of his name. Went down. Then they had Oscar Dansk. They brought up. Um, uh, who was the other one? Was it Legacy? No. Was it Legacy? Yeah, I think Manny, Manny Legacy. Legacy. I Max, don't remember. not Manny. Manny. Manny was the one in Detroit. It was Max Le, Max Legacy or Legacy or whatever. Uh, no relation because they spell it differently. But yeah, they had like four or five goaltenders that year, and they make it to the final. And by the way, the guy that buried them in the final six years ago now plays for yep. Chandler Stevenson. <laughs> so I don't that know how was, that works for for uh, an ironic twist or, <laughs> but Chandler Stevenson wouldn't let them uh, prevented them from getting a Stanley cup six years ago. And now he's trying to win them a cup. And he had a great game in game four. Uh, game four. 
I don't know. I don't want to say he finally woke up. I think for him, I think it was more about he finally learned that the puck has to go into the net. But they uh, say, he got open a couple of times. He he worked for those goals. These were not uh, but uh, goals going in off his butt as he skated oh, no, by. No, no. Not at all. But Mark Stone, even in in the post game interview that he gave, talking about Chandler Stevenson, he said we actually got him to shoot. He doesn't shoot. He's more of a he's a pass first kind of guy. He's always trying to involve his teammates, and we finally got him to realize that he needs to shoot the puck. <laughs> And there were a couple of times where I've seen him shoot and he's either missed the net or had some, you know, and so he's more of a, he's not quite the aggressive needs or wants to be the goal scorer all the time. He's trying to involve his line mates and all power to him. But if he's open, he's got to take that shot. And I think in game four, that's what he did. So it was nice to see him wake up as well. I, I just I'm concerned for Florida. I they if they continue on the path that they're on, they're not going back to sunrise. They've got to find a way to get to the middle. They've got to find a way to to break through Vegas's shell that keeps them on that perimeter. And the other thing they really need to do, they've got to score a power play goal. They're Wait, still uh, they're still over if I'm not mistaken. For the series, it, it, is the, are those power play goals important? Mm, yeah, I think they are. I don't think they. Well, I think they need to score if they if they want to win this series. They probably need to score three of them the rest of the series. Which I'm not saying they have to go three for four in one night on the power play. Hell, not even. Although two that for would four. be really nice. Yeah. Not even two for four, but you, they need to score. And I'd love to take credit for this. I've been thinking the same thing, but obviously, since Wayne said it on TV, he's going to get credit for it. But he said the same thing. They have to score a power play goal. You have to do something when you have the man advantage. You can't waste that time away. And they're not. They're just not getting to the net. They're not getting shots on net. They're just it, – it, it, it's, it's more They're for the mental psyche. Yes. It's more for the mental psyche than anything. It's They talk about in baseball, you know, seeing that ball hit the bat, seeing that puck go in the net. It, 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 for some reason, it just unlocks something it, that suddenly, yeah, you can do it again and again and again. But to be over the series is just uh, that's tough, and it's one of the things that's killing them. I think faceoffs on, on a low, on a lesser level, I think faceoffs are killing them too. But Vegas is just way better in the faceoff circle. That's fair. Uh, do we want to dive into the fun, fun trades and uh, trade ideas? <laughs> Well, you, you, you gave me a little preview, so I'm dying to know exactly how this is going to work out. Now, this is bearing in mind that reports are that uh, Brad Trilliving wants to hold on to the core four 
um, and that Matthews would have to waive his no trade in order for this to happen. That said, given the rampant speculation about him going home, mm-hmm. my trade has Austin Matthews as part of a big package going or in in exchange for a big package going to the the Yotes. Big package. Um so the coming out of Toronto would be Austin Matthews and uh and the rights to Ilya Samsonov. You're trading the one goaltender. Joseph Wall's numbers were solid. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I like sample size. I like Joseph Wall. He played, like I said, he, he was one of, he was here during that time where all four beanpot teams all had an NHL prospect, goaltender prospect on their team. So I like Joseph Wall, but you're trading the one guy that, you haven't seen Joseph Wall in the whole in a regular in 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 a complete regular season. It's a small sample size. And but I continue. haven't finished describing the the trade. Okay, continue. Um. So Matthews and Samsonov, which clears more than eleven million dollars in cap space for the Leafs to theoretically acquire some defense. Okay. Coming back, Arizona's first and Ottawa's first this year. So both, Mont- the, first, so both the first round picks. Both the first round picks. Montreal's pick in 24 and Toronto's pick in 25. So Toronto not only gets a second round pick back, but – if they're going to throw an offer sheet at someone in 2025, they have the they theoretically have the ability to do so with their own because you have to do that with your own picks. And Josh Stone and Carol Vermelka. <laughs> you stole my idea. <laughs> I'm actually higher on on Vimelka than most people, but I think that behind a a better defense, I think you'll see a statistically better Carol Vimelka. I mean, if you watch his game, if you watch him on the ice, considering how late he started as a goaltender, uh, he's got the stuff. I think that he just needs a better team in front of him to kind of round it out and actually have stats that match the capabilities. So I don't have a problem with throwing Vimelka in there. Although again, Toronto, not a fabulous defense, but probably better than Arizona's. I don't know if that's saying much. There's a lot of draft picks in here. So Toronto's sending players. Were there picks involved? Did I miss something? Nope, it's two players for two players and four picks. So Doan, Vimelka. Two first, two seconds. Two firsts and two seconds. Hmm. 
this is Arizona, so who's happy when this all is said and done? Because that's a lot of draft capital you're trading away. It's Granted, a lot of draft as I as I as I said in the beginning, yes, they they do have 22 picks in the first three rounds over the next three years. But here's here's what it does. It puts a face that anyone vaguely familiar with the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. is familiar with on the roster, hopefully with a, an extension, so that when you're saying, look, we need to build an arena, we have a superstar on the roster already. We're not going to be good enough to win a lot, but so we're going to still be able to draft additional superstars to come play here with him. We're going to have the cap space to go after top free agents. I mean, Arizona's not inundated with cap space here. They're I mean, not project, projected. They can, yes, twenty-seven million, but they can still get rid of some of the guys on their current roster. I mean, they're not winning, and you know, when you're not winning, you have to look at your current roster. I mean, who? I mean, who is their best center before this theoretical trade? Nick Schmaltz, nah. Travis Boyd, uh, okay. Barrett Hayton. I don't know enough about Barrett or Travis. So yeah, it's probably Nick. It's probably Schmaltz, yeah. And that's my point exactly. Jack McBain, no. I mean, the fact is that they have four. They they don't have a lot of players. That seems to be an issue. But of the players on that roster, they got. Four, three out of the four free agents are restricted, two with arbitration rights, and then you scroll down. They they've only got the one defenseman in Connor Mackey. Uh, he's a G six. I forget what G six is. Oh, didn't acquire enough games by the age of twenty five, so he's a UFA UFA instead of an RFA. Um. There's not a whole lot to work with on this team to begin with. You're trading them Austin Matthews, who, yes, is getting home. Samsonov does help them in net. But again, the defense that's going to be in front of him. I don't, I, I, I'm not saying I don't like the trade. I'm thinking the payment might be a bit much. You know... I'm shocked that you're even hinting that I'm over that a team is overpaying. Uh, it's not okay. Again, the overpayment. I'm not shocked at the overpayment. It's just you're asking for four picks. You got the two first rounders this year, if I'm not mistaken. And Correct. I want to make sure I wrote this down. The two first rounders this year, and then we've got is it two second rounders? Montreal's second. It's Montreal's second next year. Next year, yeah. And the Leafs own second the year in twenty five. And the and the Leafs are getting back their twenty twenty five second. Okay, that's what that's what threw me off. I'm like the that's why I asked you before about did the Leafs have a it was only players and not picks. Correct. Because you said I knew you said something about a Leafs pick and it was like hmm. Okay. Uh, see what here's the thing. As long as Arizona can get 
um, Matthews to resign this. Mm-hmm. I think this is still an underpayment. I mean, I think as as far as this trade goes, but if who is I'm Matthews? Toronto, Go ahead. If I'm Arizona, it has to be as part of a sign and trade. Matthews. Yes, Matthews. Okay. I just, uh, I don't know. Who's Matthews playing with? I mean, yes, is he a draw? Is he going to put butts in the seats? Yeah, probably. I mean, Austin yeah. Matthews and Clayton Keller uh, with Nick Schmaltz sounds like a, or or put Lawson Kraus out there, sounds like a pretty good line already. But does it move the needle? Does it get them anywhere closer to being a viable not I, I think racing for 32? Of, I think part of that is, is addressing the goaltending with a bigger name. I mean, you're not fixing any give, any given team in just one trade. Um, Ilya Samsonov can win enough regular season games, even with the questionable defense that he's had in front of him most of his career, uh, or or at least for his time in Toronto. Um, they did shore it up with uh, with additions uh, late this regular season. But I think he can win enough games to put you into the bubble, not necessarily into the playoffs, but certainly into the bubble. If people get hot, there's always a possibility you're climbing into one of those wild card spots. Um, but yes, it, it depends on the rest of the roster's construction. It always does. Okay. I'd, I mean, the fact that you have 22, I mean, giving up the four. I think I'm stuck on the whole giving up both first rounders this season, this year. Uh, okay. Arizona is Does drafting. Matthew. Does Matthews. Is anyone show? they're drafting this year going to be better than Austin Matthews? Or draw more people than Austin Matthews. Where are they picking? Uh, so Arizona's first pick this year is sixth. Mm, yeah, so, so they might not. grab Leo Carlson there. They might grab. Uh, I mean, the, here's. The, the trouble is, and if you listen to Jerry, the, the, and, and I, this is where I actually agree with you, but if you listen to, like, the very beginning of Jerry Maguire, um, until they turn pro, prospects are just like popcorn seeds in a pan, you know, until they pop. Or maybe they don't. So. Yes, and that's, and that's, that's my whole point, as I, at least from Arizona's perspective. Is that they're getting a known quantity, a known commodity in Matthews, and they're going to sell every bleeding jersey possible <laughs> in Arizona. <laughs> like Austin Matthews would have the number one selling jersey for in Arizona. like in Arizona, rather for like six or seven weeks minimum. 
after the trade. And yet they still won't be able to move out of the mullet. Uh, but I, <laughs> I think that getting I think that getting that that marquee player helps you get the arena deal. It might not be the one that we were see, that we were that was just axed, but it might be another deal in Arizona. Maybe they go to Scottsdale. So Toronto. Maybe they go to Tempe. So Toronto should get Gary Bettman, who, by the way, really can't do this because he'd be seen as being biased. But they should find some way of getting Gary Bettman to sign on to this trade and maybe go down to Arizona and sell it for them. And <laughs> since Gary just will not give up on the the dream of hockey in, in the desert. Which is another whole story in and of itself. I get it. Oh, that's that's an entire show. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a it, it is it is one of those out there deals. I mean, it it, it is crazy. And uh, but it's not as crazy as you. It's not as crazy as I'm at first thought it would be. I, is Toronto addressing anything immediately? Not really. I mean, they're not addressing their defense, which is not directly, not directly. Yeah, because they now have two first round draft picks. Right. Already. Like if they pull this trade off today. Yes. Today. Today. Between now and the draft, they not only have gained 11 million and change in cap space, they've gained two assets that they don't have anything remotely like in those trade picks, in those draft picks. Because right now Toronto has Boston's first, which is high 20s. Then they don't have a pick until the fifth round, and then they have a sixth round, and that's it this year. Three picks. Two of them in the literal um, lottery pick range in terms of likelihood of of getting a viable NHL player. Not many come out of the fifth or sixth round. It's just fact. Next year, they have their own first, no second. The Islanders third. They have no first in 2025, no, tw- no second in 2025. They, they need those assets, and they need the cap space um, in order to do anything useful. Yes. And... Well, I don't necessarily believe that Trilliving would want to make this trade. <laughs> I, I, my guess is first trade. My Go guess ahead. is no. I was just gonna say my guess first trade right out of the box, brand new uh, to to this organization as GM. It may be a difficult sell for him. <laughs> I, I I think this comes into the uh, taking getting the bad medicine down as quick as possible category because I mean, look at their roster right now. They have $9.1 million, uh, seven UFA forwards, mm-hmm. UFA defensemen. Uh, they have the, they have Samson who is an RFA with rights with eligible with, uh, arbitration, right? Eligibility. In, in that, you can't fit all of those players in $9.1 million. You're not even going 
you, you might not even get uh, – uh, no, it's just not possible. It's not. This gives them this double. This more than doubles their cap space. Their cap space. And that said, you know, Nolachari and Zach Aston Reese and David Camp and Wayden Simmons uh, and Justin Hull and Lake and Luke Shen, you can probably get all of them for eight and a half or nine million dollars. But you still have Gustav Gustafson, you still have Alex Kerfoot, you still have Michael Bunton, Bunting, uh, David Camp, and others to resign, and potentially Ryan O'Reilly. You can't do that with nine million dollars. You might be able to sign Ryan O'Reilly and one of the other guys. You can't do that with still- nine million. Damn. <laughs> but that still doesn't get you. A, a roster to put on the ice. Okay. So did you have a trade for us this week? Uh, I've got... I don't know. It doesn't involve a lot, but then again, maybe it does. So we one of the teams on our Kaboom list is Vancouver. And this isn't necessarily a Kaboom in the way you might think, but... When I explain the trade, you understand why. So Vancouver is going to be giving up some unpopular things here. Um, for starters, they're going to be trading Philip Ronick, who they got from Detroit. Ooh, this uh, is intriguing. They're also going to be giving up their first round pick this year. This is very intriguing. They're also going to be giving up Elias Pettersson. Okay. But not, but not that one, the one that actually makes a lot of money. Because apparently there's two Elias Petterson's on Vancouver. So if yes. you remember my, my comment at the pre-show when I said, is it possible to have two players with the same exact name on the same team? It wasn't Sebastian. Trading one it of wasn't Sebastian Ajo's to <laughs> the other Sebastian Ajo's team. I wanted to do that trade just to see if it, <laughs> I wanted to do that trade at some point just to see if it actually would work. You had to Sebastian. I don't know how you would do the jerseys. I mean, seriously. But no, apparently there's two Elias Pettersons on in Vancouver. One's in the system, and the other one is Elias Pettersson, the <clears throat> rookie of the year, and and whatnot. So Elias Pettersson, Philip Ronak, and their first rounder, and yes, but no, I'm not doing it for that reason. But they're trading these three things to Chicago for their first round pick. Wait a minute. So Elias Pettersson, the one we know and love. Yeah. Their first round pick. Yeah. And what was the other asset? Philip Ronak, young young player that they got from Detroit. Mm, yeah, uh, Chicago saying nope. I assume that the reason, I mean, the the main reason why I'm blowing this up, and Elias Pettersson, you would think would be a huge selling chip, except for the fact that he makes like seven point three million dollars. It's not even that. I mean, I like Pettersson at least as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. So Pettersson's you're talking. You're talking. You're talking 
Chicago is drafting first, if memory serves. Uh, yeah, they're going to be they, – they, they won the Bedard sweepstakes, yes. It's – okay. So in order to get Bedard mm-hmm. and not lose your fan base. Yeah. Do you want another pick? Do you want another first-round pick? I can't give you a second-rounder because Vancouver doesn't have seconds this year or next year. I can give you another first-rounder. I can give you more money. The issue here is that Vancouver has minus $668,750 in projected cap space. They need funds. They don't have a lot of players to sign, but they also don't have any money. And Colin Delia probably going to be gone, which means you're going to hang on to Seelovs, who is apparently international man of, of he's up for a male athlete of the year or something like that in Sweden. Um, but they need to they need to get some money. And in order to get some money, they need to trade it away. And not bring more back. Oh, I don't disagree that they need to do that. I just think that when you're talking about Connor Bedard, an almost sure thing versus the assets offered, mm-hmm. that no GM who's not uh, imbibing certain uh, certain controlled substances uh, is going to say yes to it. But do you remember that conversation we just had, like, I don't know, three minutes ago, five minutes ago, about until they turn pro, they're just kernels in the pan? I do, and I don't disagree. Okay. So you're trading, again, a known commodity who can put the puck in the net, who can – who is an offensive – at the very least an offensive – machine i'm not as strong sold on his two-way game although it's rounding out from what i've seen i'm not saying that philip ronek is you know gonna light it up defensively he played in he played in detroit they had to move him along it was a money thing it's what vancouver wanted i just you you're going to have to free up some cap space at some point because you've got lots of people who are coming due next year. You've already got half the half the forwards on your team are playing on um, contracts that are you're, – you're either – you look at their forward base and you're either the haves or the have-nots. There is no middle ground here. Not disagreeing. So – you're you're getting Elias Pettersson. I'm not trading you Brock Besser. I'm not trading you Kuzumenko. I'm giving you our strongest goal-scoring forward. You're you want you're more just, money? I'll give you more money. You can take. You, I mean, heck, I'll trade you. I'll I'll throw Bovillier in the deal, and then you can give me in the deal, and it's and it's done. Ah, see, that they can't do. Of course they can. Oh, certainly they could. You know, Alvin Alvin might even do it. I mean, he may have a 
copy of his resume sitting in the right hand drawer of his desk as well. But I don't think that I think that that would be an overpayment. Pedersen and Quinn Hughes and our first. For I mean, it would certainly free up the money you're talking about, but I think that would be an overpayment for the first round pick. Not knowing. Okay, if you say if you trade Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson, yeah, you're freeing up um, 14 million, 15 million, and something like that. What does Vancouver have in terms of other picks? The thing is, Elias Patterson is still an RFA, so at the end of the contract, Chicago still has negotiating rights. I mean, granted, he's arbitration eligible, but. So he, they might have to pay a little bit more, but Elias Pedersen comes with some security that they get to they get first right of negotiation. It's not like Pedersen's going to go there for a year and then walk. Um. So make it Hughes, Pedersen. The rights to bear. <laughs> wow, you do like to dream big. That's nice. In the first, and I'll swap you back uh, for our first, and I'll swap you back um, a second round pick, too. Really? Your second? Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, Chicago's second back going back. No, because that still leaves Chicago with three seconds this year. It does, but it also cleans me out of every. No, I can't. I think I think the Hughes thing might be a little bit too much. I think Vancouver needs to keep some kind of identity. It's bad enough there that they'd be letting Pedersen go. You the the team needs some kind of identity, and as much as needs, you may, the team needs a kaboom, and I guess I'm going to have to build a kaboom for them next week. That shows you how it's done properly. Oh, okay. So, in your kaboom, you're not hanging on to Quinn Hughes, then. That wouldn't I be something. Hang that, on to Quinn Hughes. It's uh-huh. a it's more a matter of what you get back and how much what you're getting back is going to change the culture in the locker room because this team lacks the grit to win. Agreed. The Vancouver Canucks lack the grit to win, period. Agreed, which is why I'm another reason why I'm trading Pedersen. As much as I like him and his offensive, I don't think that he's physical enough. I don't think that he has the grit. But to be honest, if that's the case, then absolutely take Quinn Hughes, take take Quinn Hughes, take leave Ethan Bear though, but take Quinn Hughes, take Patterson, take the first round pick. If it's grit that if it's grit you're trying to shed, then I'll go with you on that one and give me the first and the second. But I'll hang on to Ethan Bear.
So Patterson, Hughes, and my first for your first and second. Mm. Still needs the uh, pot. Still needs a little sweetening there. What sweetening? You're getting a you're getting a power play quarterback in Quinn Hughes. You're getting a a goal scorer. But giving up Connor Bedard. Again, kernels in a pan. Okay, you're going to have to throw in Josh Bloom. Mm-hmm. Josh and Bloom. Uh, and uh, oh, wrong wrong player. Wrong player. Okay. I can't find him on my roster, but I'm sure I'm sure I'll dig somebody up named wrong player. Don't know why that didn't open for me. And the rights to Akita Heroes. Had a really strong season at uh, Minnesota State um, mm-hmm. in Mancota. Undrafted, 24-year-old. He is a, what is that, a... He's a he's a he's a ten point two player. Um, long explanation for that that we're going to skip over. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let me let me fill it. Let me uh, get some depth into my system. And yes, we'll talk about it. Yeah, depth is not something you need unless you're going to turn around and give me some back because you got a lot of names listed here. You're going to have to give me Lucas. Oh, right you're going to have to give me Lucas Reichel. Connor Bedard. Yeah, again, Colonel's in a pan. You're going to have to give me Lucas Reichel. <laughs> They've been talking about Connor Bedard since. The, again, you Colonel's in a pan. Sorry, hasn't, no. Hasn't played one NHL game yet. Trade's not happening. Okay. I'm not. You wanted crazy. That's crazy. You keep you making it crazier is not making it get done, because the more you throw into it, the more the other GM is going to be like, I need to get something back. You can't expect me to to farm out two prospects and not get one back in return. All I'm getting is two draft picks who may or may not pop. You can't expect to give up the most speculated about, talked about, heavily scouted prospect. Since with the what? highest expectations since, since, since Connor, Connor McDavid, McDavid. Mm. 
for again you can't compare one to the other full of a, a pocket full of uh a video game tokens that you've offered up there's more than pocket full of video game tokens but okay fair enough again you're getting video game tokens for oh wait the promise that the video game might work at some point down the road The video game may get rave reviews in beta testing, but the minute it comes out and it's all glitchy and buggy, didn't work out. Now I'm going to need something a little more tangible. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't think we're going anywhere on this trade, um, <laughs> but speaking of going somewhere. Okay. The Athletic reported this week that both Connor Hellebuck and Pierre-Luc Dubois are entirely uninterested in extending their time in the fantastic metropolis of Winnipeg. Why would they want to end their time in Winnipeg? Um, a locker room culture that's supposed to be poisonous. Mm-hmm. Uh, an inability for the team to win when it matters. Uh, aging core. And who knows what other problems exist in that actual locker room and franchise. Oh, plus a weirdly hostile, highly obsessive fan base that seems to live um, somewhere between the back pockets uh, of, of the players in town. Okay. Other than that, I can't think of a single reason. <laughs> what proof do we have that it's a toxic work environment? Oh, wait, the players don't want to play. It's, it's been, it was so bad that Paul Maurice decided he had to get out of there. Uh, I'm thinking that this is a GM issue. Call me crazy. I don't know if it's necessarily a GM purely. Uh, I don't think that the GM has put the right ingredients in the pot. Um, and by the way, wasn't Pierre-Luc Dubois a little bit of a, um, <clears throat> a issue so much so that Tortorella didn't want him in Columbus? So uh, maybe Tortorella we'll... wanted to remold him heavily. So maybe, just maybe, it's not the organization's issue. Maybe it's the player's issue. Hmm. Look, we, we've said, they've been saying for years that that locker room is broken, wrong. Okay. Whatever you want to call it. So, yes, there's a certain element where the players very large chunk of responsibility but if you're Kevin Cheveldayoff and you're filling your entire roster with mm, undesirable elements you're also messing up by the numbers because almost every locker room has at least one or two guys that mm, not necessarily the first person you're playing with uh, you're going to pick if you're playing a tournament uh, of, you know, with your friends and uh, with your friends and buddies and, you know, former teammates. 
But when you have this many, when it's something that's this constant, because it's basically been going on since the team, since the team moved to Winnipeg. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely more than one or two guys. It's probably at least four or five guys and then a bunch of wind socks and okay. wind socks can be equally destructive as the actual locker room cancers. I mean, some guys just need a change of environment. Like people talked about Taylor Hall as a locker room cancer and he comes here and he starts and he talks up literally every player on the roster uh, if given the opportunity. Yes. So why are we believing that Winnipeg is a cancerous law? I mean, I'm just I'm trying to figure I'm out. I'm saying because it because two people want out. I think people I think there's a little bit of PTSD there. <laughs> I think that there's. I don't think that the players genuinely believe that leadership and I, and I take that from everyone from the bench up. Okay. Um, believes in the players and is simultaneously not doing anything to improve the roster because a lot of these guys, you know, Blake Wheeler, uh, Kyle Connor, Mark, Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers, they've been there a long time. Uh, and Wheeler moved with the franchise. Uh, Kyle Connor came in not long after. Shifley was drafted there in their first year in town, I want to say. Um, there's just... There's a time where the new broom is appropriate. I don't believe it's all the time. But... If you're looking at the roster right now, they have three at forward. They have three uh, arbitration eligible forwards and they have five RFA, uh, five UFA forwards. Yeah. Two RFA uh, defensemen in Sandberg and Stanley. If there's a time for an earth shattering kaboom. Now's the time for the earth-shattering kaboom. Um, between the guys who are currently signed, you only have $70 million only. You could move half of that between now and free agency if you wanted to. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to present – I'm just trying to present an argument as to you're blowing it up because of the belief that it's – Toxic locker room talks are this. Everybody wants out. I, I, okay, I'm blowing it up because it's it doesn't work. Like I was gonna say, I'm, I would blow it up because it needs blowing up. <laughs> yes, Pierre Dubois is 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 one of those pieces, but I mean, when you have two players with the profile of Halibut and. Pierre-Luc Dubois at the same time wanting out. There's clearly some, there's clearly something beneath the smoke. I'll take Is, that. I'll take that when it comes to I'll, I'll accept that with regards to Connor Hellebuck. Pierre-Luc Dubois. I, I I think there's something there that Pierre-Luc Dubois is only 24. I think there's something there that I don't want to touch, though. 
this is his second franchise and now he's got issues with them. He had issues with Tortorella and the Columbus franchise that he wanted out of there. I don't. But he's gone to I mean, he's gone to Winnipeg and been productive. Makes me nervous. He got there. He had 20 goal. He had 20 points in 41 games after he was traded. The next year in the 21-22 season, he puts up 28, 32 and 60. Um, he got then this season set, only play 73 games, 27 goals, 36 assists, 63 points total. So his career high and he goes from a minus six to a plus five in the playoffs, four points uh, in five games. It's not like he's not contributing. But. If he does, if he can't see, I, I mean, look at, uh, as an example, Jack Eichel and Robin Leonard mm-hmm. both said, publicly said that the locker room in Buffalo a few years ago basically needed fumigating and they were disgusted with how the guys were playing or not playing or not preparing. In, uh, PLD knows he's in the prime of his career. He's going to be 25 in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't he want to go to a contender right now? Oh, no, I can uh, I can understand wanting to go to a contender. Everybody wants to go to a contender so that they can win and get their name on a cup. Absolutely. I understand that. Nobody why sits there and says, I want to go to a basement dweller. Why wouldn't he at least want to go where players are trying? Why wouldn't he at least want to go where guys are winning when it matters? If you're as much as I like some of the guys that PLD is playing with right now, Mm -hmm. if you're asking me, do I want to play a playoff round with in his position with Nick Suzuki and um, Nick Suzuki, Montreal? Uh, yes, if I want to play with their young players, uh, where is he? Well, uh, I mean, oddly enough, there is an article also in The Athletic, Pierre-Luc Dubois, most likely trade destinations. Yep. And one of them is Montreal, although the it's not the first team that the author – the author is Murat, At- Murat Atas, and I apologize if I said that wrong, but – um, the first team that he lists actually is the Los Angeles Kings. Okay. For so Pierre-Luc Dubois. If you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, having yeah. seen these guys play, do you want to play your next playoff round with Cole Caulfield, Juraj uh, Slavowski, and Nick Suzuki? Or do you want to play it with Kyle Connor, Mark, Mark Shifley, and Nikolai Ehlers. I, I'm going with the young kids from Montreal. They in the in the pretend offs in the in the lock in the uh, lock in year in the bubbles. Mm-hmm. They dragged a roster full of nothing to the uh, to out of a couple of rounds like the dudes in the locker room with PLD right now can't win like 
can't win. I don't blame him. Whether he's part of a problem or not, can't blame him at all. And that's before you get to questions of what do we do when it's the off season? What do we do on our nights off when we're not playing a game? I have a sneaking suspicion Mm -hmm. that there are at least 20 other NHL cities with more nightlife than Winnipeg. Just a hunch. Yeah, remember when nightlight? Remember what nightlife did to Tyler Sagan here in Boston? You think there's not more nightlife in Dallas than there is in Boston? You out your mind? I've never lived in Dallas, so I wouldn't know. Not that I spent a lot, a lot of nightlife anywhere. I mean, it wasn't really my scene, but Dallas is like three and a half times the population of Boston. Okay. I assure you there's way more nightlife. Okay. I just, I, I don't know. And I'm stuck on the whole fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And I think that, but and I also how believe. how many disaster franchises there have been in the league in the past 15 or 20 years. Edmonton has not been able to get out of its way, its own way in all of that time. That's their own fault. They don't know how to draft defensemen. Vancouver has not been able to get out of their own way in all of that time. I don't know what to blame that on. Columbus has struggled basically their entire existence. No, that's not true. How many cups do they have? Well, zero, but... Okay, how many Stanley Cup final appearances do they have? Probably zero. How many Eastern Conference and or Western Conference final appearances do they have? Zero. Okay. That doesn't mean they're getting out of their own way. Are they making the playoffs or are they constantly finishing in the basement? They've made the playoffs. They've made the playoffs recently, a couple of years? Yes. They're not a complete disaster, but I don't. I don't buy Yarmo Kikalainen as a top tier. Oh, I don't either. Don't get me general wrong. manager. I don't either. I just. But, okay. Would you rather play with the Kings current roster or in in the playoffs in the next round you play or the Winnipeg Jets current roster? If you're PLD. Ooh, tough one. I'm picking the Kings. I, I'm picking the Kings as well, but that's that's actually tougher than you make it out to. I mean, there's there's talent on the Winnipeg Jets roster. You're making it sound like I'm not, choosing between filet mignon and 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 ground chuck. No, no, no. No one's saying there's not talent on the roster. It's as Mark Recchi put it, willingness to get uncomfortable, willingness to do whatever it takes to win. Well, Mark Shifley did that when he took out Jake Evans, so I don't think that's a question. Mm, I think that was just being cranky. Oh, okay. Because it's not like Mark Shifley is known as Winnipeg's best hitter. (laughs) He's not. Okay, but they don't have Dustin Bufflin, so. Um, 
would you rather play on Carolina for your next playoff appearance or Winnipeg? L.A. No, no, I said Carolina or Winnipeg. I heard you. L.A. <laughs> L.A. is not part of the scenario. Okay. Would you rather go play in Buffalo with Skinner and that really tall guy? Winnipeg. You, what, you're gonna, oh, wait, you're going to throw Tage Thompson at me and say it's he's better off playing in Buffalo with Tage Thompson and not making the playoffs than he is going to Winnipeg and making the playoffs. Okay, that's a difficult choice because would I love to play with Tage Thompson? Sure. But if I'm still going to be in the same boat that I am now, not making the playoffs, and the one thing that's important to me is playing on a contender, then no, I don't want to go to Buffalo. I'd Quite rather frankly, stay in Winnipeg. With or without, if you take PLD completely out of the equation and you put Winnipeg and Buffalo in a seven-game series, I'm dropping I'm dropping my cash on Buffalo to win. In a seven-game series? Yes. With no goaltending in Buffalo. Uh, with that There's defense, because no we're comparing Winnipeg. roster to roster here. You're not making changes. The only thing is PLD. You're comparing roster to roster. That defense and questionable goaltending against There's no Josh heart Mo- in Winnipeg. Uh, you might get a fight from Blake Wheeler on that one. I don't think he's going to like you saying he doesn't. I don't think he's going to like him saying he doesn't have heart. You miles and miles of miles and miles of heart. Yeah. Oh, great. So you can name one player with heart out of a 23-man roster. I can name a, I can name a problem child in the locker room, but you won't admit to it either because you keep trying to defend him. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is part of the problem, and you keep defending him because he's a piece that can be moved. That's great. Move him, uh, look, and then he's going to bring his issue to another Pierre-Luc team. Pierre-Luc Dubois isn't potentially part of the problem. What I've said is some players just need a reset. Yeah, I mean, and again, I, I, I agreed with you and I said Tyler Sagan for a different reason, but he's also an argument for this reason. The reset for Tyler Sagan has brought him to a place where he's actually with the and this year. He struggled a bit, but I mean, he's blossomed in Dallas. And, yeah, they may have more nightlife there, but he hasn't let it bother him there like it did here. He's not in he's not one of the most known players in the entire city there. It's Texas. Football is always going to be number one, number two and number three. Yes, it's a it's a religion. I get it. So, quite frankly, you could trade Connor McDavid and um, and uh, PLD. And um, what's his name? Austin Matthews to Dallas. Yes, we're ignoring the salary cap for eight seconds. Yeah, you you better be because that's about three quarters of it of it right there. <laughs> and the Dallas and the Dallas Stars would still be like the ninth team that anyone talked about in Dallas because the Cowboys probably the still. Cowboys whoever the Cowboys are facing. 
the Mavericks, the college teams, the football, uh, the high school teams. You're saying basketball is a bigger, bigger draw than hockey in, in Dallas? It probably is. I, did, I actually was going to make the same statement, so I have to agree with you. But I figured I'd try and pull it out of you first. Yeah, I think basketball is actually a bigger draw. And so, look, you could pop in, you could go, you could get your uh, favorite time machine <laughs> and go back to, you know, the early 80s or the mid set or the mid 70s and grab whichever of those, whichever of two players you believe is the greatest of all time and blop them onto the current Dallas Stars. And it still wouldn't put them into the most noticeable team in the market. They had the best. They had the best U.S. born player of all time on the on their roster. Actually, some guy named Mike Madano. Um, Matthew Kachuk has not ever been on their roster. Ah ha ha ha! Except that he hasn't caught Mike Madano yet. So when he does, let me know. Will do. Um, one of the most interesting things that I saw, um, and this is a follow-up to his, uh, departure in Arizona. And part of the reason I made the trade suggestion a few minutes ago, um, is that Shane Doan, after a decade of speculation about him leaving, the Arizona Coyotes when he was a player and then time spent in the front office. Toronto Maple Leafs general manager, Brad Trelleving has hired Shane Doan as a special advisor to the general manager. He's going to be uh, throwing some weight behind all of the day-to-day hockey operations, uh, as assigned by Trilleving. Um when he was with the Coyotes front office, he was the chief hockey development officer, um, working with the with the business and the hockey operations for two seasons. He's been involved in Hockey Canada's uh program as the assistant general manager. He won gold doing that. Um so what we're saying here is a year from now, maybe two years from now, Shane Doan is going to be an NHL general manager. Back in Arizona. I don't think he goes back there unless there's new ownership. You want to talk about toxic environment, but that again, like you said, that's a whole show on its own. <laughs> I agree. I, 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 it, John Chaka wanted out of there. Uh, Shane Doan goes to Toronto. Yeah, and and he's a he's a Coyote legend. Yeah, no, (laughs) Shane Doan may be a general manager somewhere. Uh, I'm sure they would love to have him. Yeah, I don't think he's going back to Arizona. But I do agree that I think he's on the he's on the, he's on track. Actually, I I think give me hmm. 
The Maple Leafs have such a deep history, a passionate fan base, excited to contribute in any way I can in the organization's pursuit of their ultimate goal. I am also thrilled to once again work alongside Brad Trilliving and continue a working relationship that began during Brad's time with the Coyotes. So it's not his first rodeo with Brad. No, no, it's not. Do you remember where Shane Doan is from? Where he's from? Yeah. What city the uh, he was I know born he, in? He was. Uh, no, I was gonna say I know he was drafted by. Drafted by Winnipeg or something like that. Well, he before was born they, before in they moved. Alta or Halkirk, Alberta. Halkirk, the nearest Al- major city is, of course, Red Deer, which I'm sure you already knew. Oh, yeah, because my GPS like brain, I knew that, yeah. And that's <laughs> actually halfway between Edmonton and Calgary. Calgary, of course, just hired a new general manager. Craig Conroy, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they promoted him from assistant GM, a role he'd been in for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But um, Edmont- Edmonton has Ken Holland from... No, Edmonton uh, has Ken Holland, who has uh, been there over four years at this point. He's Detroit uh, Red Wings fame. Uh, got himself a Stanley Cup or two over there. Um, so the question becomes, is he taking over Edmonton? You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Ken Holland decides to step back into the role of president of hockey operations and leave the general manager position open next year. I mean, he is 67 at this point. Bringing in someone who's bringing in someone before he's fired um, that will buy him at least two or three year, more years until he's ready to retire on his own, assuming he ever is, um, mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. So when is Shane Doan moving to Edmonton? Next season. Next season. And the next year. It's a possibility. I mean, then, if Ken Holland's willing to leave the position and and, and move in, and, and Shane Doan is clearly younger. Uh, what's Shane Doan, mid-40s? I think he's 50. He's 46. Mid-40s. Well, I'm pretty good at this. He will be 47 October 10th of this year. Okay. So. Or, you know, if, if Neely gets tired of Sweeney, he could end up here. <laughs> I think they're gonna give. I think they're gonna give Sweetie enough rope this off season with everything that's going on. They're gonna give him enough rope to either hang himself or climb out of the well. I don't know which yet, but and with, of course, with everything that's going on and retirements, and you got to find a way to keep Bertuzzi in house, which I think they're actually trying to do. And we did just mention uh, Yarmo Kikalainen. Kikalainen has been 
Columbus. general manager for yeah. 10 years, three months, and 29 days. Now that's a possibility. Um, if someone's looking for a fresh face. <laughs> it's them. <laughs> uh, in a year, you know, he would actually be about the same age that uh, Kika Linen was hired at to be GM. So I'm not cool. sure I want to hire a full time, a first time GM if it's if it's me. Um, that said, Shane Doan is well regarded league wide. I'm assuming that he's ready for the position. I mean, I don't know. I, I, Another guy who who has to be looking over his shoulder at this point. Um, although he's another guy who's dual hatted to his raw, uh, to his uh, organization is Kevin Cheveldayoff. <laughs> Eleven years, nine months, nine days in Winnipeg. In the peg. Would, wouldn't wouldn't that be an I, another ironic twist of fate though? He's drafted. And, I mean, drafted by Winnipeg, and then he comes back to Winnipeg to be the GM and do the drafting. Although actually, you can add two two months and twenty four days to that because he was the GM for the last hurrah of the Atlanta Thrashers. Okay. He was GM and vice president of hockey operations for the Thrashers, and now he's GM and executive vice president for the Winnipeg Jets. No. Oh, okay. Since September second of twenty eleven. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, actually, September 1st of 2011, I'm sorry, July 8th of 2011 was when he was brought in by the Thrashers. The Uh, Thrashers. I mean, didn't they draft some guy named Kovalchuk? Yeah, and they also had some guy named Savard, and yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Whatever happened to them? <laughs> and of course, uh, your boy over in uh, Detroit has been there over four years Eisen. and hasn't gotten to the playoffs yet. Eisenman is not going anywhere. He's rebuilding that team. And and as their favorite son, they probably give him enough rope. They probably give him more than enough rope. I think that he. Okay. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he's going to be there for a decade. If they're not improved in the next year or two, then I'd say he's on the hot seat. Right now, I don't think he is because I'm sure he's convinced ownership that the organization is actually going in the right direction. I think they are. Okay. Are they the best team not to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference this year? Yes. No. Oh, Buffalo. And given given all of the injuries that we saw, I have Ooh. like long term prospects of of Ottawa better too. Ottawa's got to get out of its own way. Goaltending's still an issue, and as much as I like Thomas Shabbat. I think that they need to do more with that decor. 
um, because Pittsburgh didn't make the playoffs. Pittsburgh is, yeah, on their way down. We understand that. They did bring in Chikrin. Buffalo and Ottawa are were finished ahead of finished six and eleven points ahead of Detroit. Ottawa's got their own problems. Um, Ottawa will probably have a new gen, a new owner real soon. Um, Washington finished with the same amount of points as Detroit. Uh, and I don't think we're going to see Ovechkin's father die again midseason. So probably, probably at least equal to Detroit. Um, Philly, Montreal, I, eh, who knows? Columbus was so ridiculously unhealthy. It's unfair to judge them on the season. It it should just be a non-complete or an incomplete. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, they they still have a, the the Red Wings still have a lot of work to do. So does Ottawa. I I understand that. Ottawa's got no goaltenders. Well, not necessarily true. They Anton Forsberg is on IR, but okay, let's go back and say they have no goaltenders because Cam Talbot is a free agent. Um. Three defensemen, two UFAs, one RFA arbitration eligible, which is Eric Brandstrom. The two UFAs are Hamannick and Holden, who are 32 and 36, respectively. Then you got the forwards. You got four four RFAs, three arbitration eligible. Debrinkit, Gambrell, Julian Gauthier, who's probably not going to take as much money as the other two. Uh, Shane Pinto is a 10-2C. Brassard, you probably let go. Brown and Watson are both UFAs and aren't going to take a whole lot of cash to resign. But they've only got 17 mil to do it all. And, and again, like I said, goalie is your. I actually, I actually like their defense more than I thought I did. I mean, they brought in Chikrin. Zub has actually shown that he's pretty decent. That's why he's got the extension. Um, Sanderson is going to be a 10-2C at the end of this coming up upcoming season. They got they actually have decent defense. I don't know. I think it's a tie. I think it's a three-way tie. I think Buffalo might have the slight edge. Oh, Buffalo's got a clear edge. Buffalo's got a clear edge. And when you compare the That's defense, because you love Tage Thompson. Look at it's it. It's not just Tage Thompson. Objectively. They it's still not just Tage Thompson. Okay, then what then what is it about Buffalo? Uh they have Jack Quinn. Oh right. Yeah. They have Jeff Skinner. They have Dylan Cousins. They have um they have Owen Power. Mm-hmm. I like they Owen have, Power. Came out of Michigan. Yeah. Okay. They have they have Ilya Ilya Labushkin. Um, they have okay. Alex Labushkin is in. Okay. I, I, you're right. I'm not in love with their goaltending. Probably never will be. Unless Devin Levi is going to take the job away from Uko Pekalukinen. But again, now they're in a situation that Boston was in with two young goaltenders. Who's your number one? Who's your number two? Um, yeah, they played it out. Yeah. Um, 
I think that this the the one of the key differentiators here is they still have a younger core, uh, Buffalo, and they have more of it under under contract this year, at least this year. Okay. There's less potential drop off just based on players not currently signed. Okay. I'm not, I'm. I'm not gonna sit. I'm not gonna sit here and, and tell you that Buffalo is. I think that they are ahead of the. I just don't think that they're leaps and bounds ahead of either Buffalo or I mean either Ottawa or Detroit. I mean, if I had to rank them one, two, three as to who's closest to making the playoffs, it's probably Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit. Okay, at least you're finally being honest. But I don't. But I don't think that there's as big a gap between the three as you're selling. The gap between Buffalo and the other two is bigger than the gap between the other two, whichever order you want to put them in. Okay. I'll chew on that for a while. I mean, Buffalo had 42 wins this year. Mm-hmm. That's the same number of wins as Florida and the Islanders who made the playoffs. So they didn't make the playoffs because? They didn't tie enough. Oh, okay. They either won or lost. (laughs) They didn't tie enough. They missed the playoffs by one point. Florida finished one point ahead of them. Wow. One point. And it was on the last day of the season, if I'm not mistaken. Buffalo, if, if, if I am Buffalo this season, right now. Yeah. Like, I am I am waiting for free agency or the tampering period to begin. And I have my short list of five defensemen, whatever, whatever order you want to put them in. And we'll, we can talk about them next week if you want to. To add to the team, mm-hmm. because yes, the goaltending and the defense need work, and you really need to you you have to do something. You have to do something. You've got Owen Power. You've got the other young guys on this team. You've got a few more years of Skinner before he starts to fade. There's no way you can see what those guys put out with terrible goal, terrible goaltending, terrible, and not say, yeah, we're we're going to run. We're going to add someone to this roster to run. They need to show up. They, they need to show up that day. I mean, Rasmus Dahlin, Owen Power, uh, Labushkin's okay. I mean, I I'm not as sold on him as some people. Labushkin's are. okay. Yokiharu's okay. I like. Yoki I've always liked seen. Henry Yokiharu since he was with Chicago as a rookie. I don't remember seeing Bryson play. I don't remember seeing Stillman play. Riley Stillman's okay. Riley Stillman's all right. He's that. But that's the, you've said that about everyone. They're all okay. Exactly. That and that's my problem with their defense is that they're all just okay. Um. So if you could add Dmitry Orlov to this team, 
<laughs> okay. I, I that would be that would be intriguing. I think he, I still think he's going back to Washington, but that would be intriguing. Oh, almost certainly. I mean, you have the cap space to do it. Oh, I I think that they should make every attempt to bring him in. I uh, think that uh, you also, uh, you also have one of the other guys who I really like in Matt Dumba available. Um, he's going to be a UFA, and there's just no way that they're going to have the money to sign him in in Minnesota. They have nine million free and fifteen players signed. Okay. Um, for that matter, John Klingberg is probably going to be available too. I don't know that Buffalo has the cash to sign both of them. I don't but, know that Buffalo needs another Klingberg type defenseman though. But if you can get Dumba, yes, Dumba, I agree. I think I think having. Rasmus Dahlin, who's more of an offensive defenseman, bringing in Klingberg, offensive defenseman. Owen Power, I'm not really. I, I he he plays like an offensive defenseman. I don't think he's really shown himself to be fish or fowl yet. He is still young, yep. Uh, uh, yes, Yoki Haru is a defensive defenseman, uh, or two. Actually, I'd put him as a two-way. He can score. He doesn't do a lot of it. Um, kind of like Clifton in that way. I I don't know that Klingberg is exact. I think Dumbo would be a better fit as far as what they need. I, I think Klingberg might be just another offensive piece and not necessarily going to help them on the blue line. He would, but there's experience, but you're looking at, you're looking at uh, a lot of power play, power play quarterbacks and whatnot. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, there was a story from the about the combine from uh, that we want to talk about. We're going to have to take it to next week. Um, I can't think of anything else we need to cover this week, uh, although I did have a lot of fun with the trades. Um, we'll have to talk once we clear the uh, – once we end the show about – maybe doing one more week of kaboom trades and uh it's getting more and more intriguing trying to find something that actually is a kablooey that doesn't involve either high draft picks or very expensive players and that uh oh and we'll also have uh we'll also start looking at some of the more interesting draft picks. We're going to be outside the top five or 10 uh, this, this year uh, because there's only so much time between now and uh, the draft. And I suspect that uh, we're not going to make it to next weekend for this, uh, for the Stanley cup finals as much as I hate it. Um, Between now and Connor Bedard's coronation. Yes. (laughs) I, I, I hate to agree with you. I would love to see more hockey, but unless Florida can find some way to get in the middle, as we talked about earlier. Or, you know, unless Aiden Hill suddenly turns into a (laughs) sieve. Pumpkin. (laughs) It's midnight. (laughs) Although, you know, yes. And that, that, boys and girls, is where we leave you. Have a great week. Enjoy the hockey while it lasts. 
Um, take a chance on your team's um, on your team's uh, summer activities. Take care.